Welcome to the Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I want to thank you for joining me. And now let's dive into today's episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. All right, we're going to jump right into this one. This is a quick episode. And I'll admit, lately, I've been trying to uh, for my own solo episode, so I can give you as much value as possible. Sometimes I outline some things, but sometimes you just got to continue to go raw from the hip. And this is one that was stimulated by a conversation I had with a friend and my friend made a really good point about something that I had to go right in with. Now, this is going to be targeted at anybody. I want to make the audience clear who has felt like, man, you really have uh, a bad taste in your mouth when you hear terms like sales or promoting or branding and all these things. And we're going to talk about these things a little bit. Now, here's some context, right? A very intelligent, good friend of mine that created something of high value uh, was kind enough to share it with me. And he was like, hey, you know, would love your feedback. Um, Let me me know what you think. And him and I have a lot of reciprocal conversations. Really good guy. And so he had sent me something the other day and said, hey, if you didn't get a chance to watch it yet, I also posted it here, not trying to promote it. I just thought you'd enjoy. And I said, hey, it's all good. Uh, I, you know, I actually just have a few moments left in it. And then, you know, I'm happy to share it. I thought it was great. And he said, well, only share it if you feel like it's worth a share. Like I said, I'm not trying to promote it. And I've had a lot of these conversations over the years because what's interesting in, in my field in strength and conditioning there is this like unwritten rule of certain words that you're not supposed to use in the field. And it's fascinating to me because I don't know why I, you know, I understand that there are historical events and there are things that happen all over the world sometimes that make certain words sensitive. And we all do, right? There's certain books that are taboo. There's phrases that are taboo. There's topics that are taboo. And usually we can define those things based on some kind of historical context, whether it was World War II or things that went on uh, in America related to the Civil War or other countries because they've had uh, battles with, uh, you know, people that were indigenous to that area. And then obviously, you know, other folks came in and right. It's all, we all know this. There's issues with all kinds of uh, sensitivity and, and things like that, that make things taboo or topics uncomfortable. It's oftentimes why even when you Go out to dinner with friends. You you may jokingly say, hey, uh, all topics are open except any of those related to uh, religion or politics. Everything, there's some level of taboo. But I, I don't know where some of these terms in human performance and strength and conditioning have become taboo. I mean, I do, and we're going to talk about it. There's going to be some takeaways here, but it's just interesting. So I remember, you know, saying to my friend here, I said, well, listen, is the information valuable? And he's like, yeah, I mean, I think it's valuable, but I'm not trying to promote it. And obviously I'm biased on that. And I had replied, well, if it's valuable information and it can help people, then you should promote it. And I let him know that I was just giving him a hard time. But I said, you know, listen, I'm just trying to make sure you and all of you listening don't confuse the verbiage promote with something that is inherently negative. You know, and I'm, I'm not being indelicate here. I'm giving real examples, guys, because we've had this conversation a lot in our community 
you know, cancer treatment centers, and I lost my grandfather to cancer. So again, not being indelicate, they have to promote their services to get people to learn about what they do. Public transit services. I live in Atlanta. Part of the public transit here is the MARTA, M-A-R-T-A. And they have to promote to get people to try to use public transit. Researchers have to promote their research. Uh, Most people have to promote something. You have to promote the value of your children brushing their teeth. You promote the value of uh, if you're in strength and conditioning or fitness or something like that, you promote the value of getting stronger or more fit to somebody's health. If you work in IT, I know we have a number of listeners in IT, you have to promote to others the value of backing up their work, why they should back up their work. My father was in financial advising. He had to promote the value of investing and saving and using good practices. As this is being recorded, uh, we're fighting COVID-19. We have to promote the value and the purpose of social isolation and and why these things should be happening. Uh, We promote things all the time. And guys, this really is not a new idea. Daniel Pink wrote a great book called To Sell as Human. Um, Ryan Holiday in his book, Perennial Seller, talked about, you know, promotion is not how things are made great, but rather how they are heard about, right? So we all have a responsibility if you have something of value, whether that's information or perspective, to promote it. (laughs) Now, why this has really become bad? Let me tell you why, right? So, and this is a lot of reasons. One is insecurity. I'll just be frank. There are certain people that don't like the idea of promotion and selling, Yes, because they've seen it bad examples of these things. And this is where my field, strength and conditioning, likes to get on its high horse because inevitably they say, oh, somebody is always promoting a webinar or a new program or a new this. And really, none of this is any different than any other field. There's always somebody promote. Right now, there's an author promoting a book that probably isn't good. Um, There's people that promote pharmaceuticals that aren't good. In the wild, wild west, they promoted, there were people that said they had colder ice than somebody else. Um, There's always a new, we talked about software earlier. There's always some new software solution. Guys, the world is filled with promotions and sales pitches, some good, some bad. The world is also filled with different kinds of food, some good, some bad. Different kinds of cars, some better than others, some bad. And so what happened in a lot of strength and conditioning is somewhere along the line, you know, some people that were unscrupulous and, you know, just didn't really have a lot of ethics promoted stuff and that stuff wasn't good. So then what happens is we have a field that has that heuristic of, well, these things were not good or most things promoted in this way were not good. So therefore all those things are not good. Now there's also something to be said about, you know, fields where this kind of stuff happens and, you know, most people don't make a lot of money. Strength and conditioning, you, you don't make a lot of money in this field. I've talked about how I did, you know, two unpaid internships. I did a graduate assistantship where, you know, it was, it was great. You got your master's paid for and you made, but you made about $10,000 a year as a stipend. And then most people will make around twenty to $40,000 a year for quite a long time, even if they had a, a, an advanced degree or what have you. But there is this perception by some that those that are out there that are moonlighting or uh, what do they call it? Uh, some other people call it limelighting or promoting that they're making all this money. And the only reason they they could be doing well is because they're doing something unscrupulous, right? You start using that heuristic again of, you know, what I see is primary, right? What is focal is causal. And really these people haven't stopped to ask of saying, hey, 
is it really these things that are bad or is it the things that people, how they do it that are bad? And I've challenged some of my friends in the team setting because they used to try to make it a private sector thing. And I've said, well, listen, guys, if that's the case, take off your Nike and your Adidas apparel and get rid of all the things you have in your weight room because those partnerships are part of a promotional deal with your school, right? You wouldn't have that weight room if boosters or uh, private owners or donors hadn't you know, been promoted to by members of the athletic department or the community. Um, everybody's always trying to promote. You wouldn't even know about the latest research that got you that new tool in your weight room had they not promoted it. And, you know, most of those people just have a dissociation, right? Because they think, well, I use this tool and it, it helps our athletes not get injured. Therefore, I'm not benefiting directly and it's not about me. Well, then that's what you've got to think about. Is your issue really with promotion and those things or is it the people promoting it or some form of self-promotion? Well, let's investigate that because even that is not really a sound argument, People also have to self-promote. You did that to get the job. You know, if you all of a sudden get brought in for a job interview and we have a host of episodes on job interviews, guess what? You had to promote yourself as the best fit for that position. If you didn't, you would have gone in there and just said, hey, uh, here's my resume. I do good work. Thanks for any consideration. But you don't do that. You answer questions as to why you're the best fit, what solutions you think you can provide, how you think you can help other people right? You promote yourself when you go on a date. Uh, you try to show your partner that, hey, I, I'm somebody that I'm a good person and I have my stuff together and I'm going to treat you right and I'm going to do those things. So that's another form of promotion. All of this fits under a category called impression management. And many of you have heard me talk about it a lot. We have a whole section on it inside my online course, Valued. Well, look out, there's promotion. But impression management is simply our way of controlling or shaping and adapting what others think of us. And it's central to our working lives. You know, so central, in fact, that we use it automatically. It really is a big part of everything that we do from a human behavior standpoint. Irving Goffman, a sociologist in the 1950s who wrote a great book on, on this called Impression Management in Everyday Life, talks about how this is a, a ritual. It's a dance that people partake in. If you have guests coming over at your house, you're going to clean up the house. Uh, obviously, you want them to think that you're orderly and that you know, you, uh, you've done your due diligence cleaning it up. You know, we, we have uh, a three-month-old at the time I'm recording this. Guys, if you come over to my house, it's a mess. So we are going to clean, vacuum, do all these things, and we're going to want to make the house look good for you. Why? Because it's a respectful thing to do. I mean, if you didn't believe in any kind of promotion and impression management, then you would basically show no respect to authority. You would not talk to your in-laws any differently than you do your young children. Uh, you would use the same kind of way of communicating in a bar that you would some sophisticated dinner. Everybody does it. Even the person that thinks or, or kind of goes long and loud, and there's a lot of them in strength and conditioning, about how they don't engage in self-promotion and they don't do the social media. Those people are promoting. What they're trying to say is, hey, I'm old school, or maybe I'm not old school, I'm a purist, or I'm just in it for the love of the craft and these things don't matter to me. You're conveying something. These are all kinds of conveyance. So again, we have to look at, do we really know what these terms even mean? You know, if you look at what promote means, First of all, it's a verb, 
right? And it means to further the progress of something, whether that's a cause, a venture, or an aim, or to support or actively encourage something. So we promote things all the time. And I already gave some examples of that. And so, you know, we think about like, okay, so what happened? And we talked about one thing. Well, of course, people promote bogus products. Or when we think of people that self-promote, we tend to think of people that have a, a relatively large following or maybe they're, they're omnipresent. They seem everywhere. We see their ads. We see this. We see that. Well, you know, that's a tricky thing too because like I said, we have a responsibility. Yes, we'd like to think that just doing great work is all that is noticed, right? Um, if we all just did great work, but here's the thing. There are businesses, there are scientists, there are people all over the world that have created great things, but because they didn't know how to communicate them to a larger audience or promote them, they didn't get found out. And that cost people lives, that cost people results, that cost people relationships. It's cost people all kinds of things, right? Like you could argue that some of the crisis we go through right now uh, if we would have known sooner or communicated something sooner or thought of a, a a better way to get the message across to people that we would have, in fact, been more prepared. Now, who knows? But we do know that we have to promote proper sanitary practices. Promoting is a form of getting somebody to adopt a behavior. You know, it's funny that we talk about hand washing. In one of my earliest presentations, I talk about a gentleman named Ignaz Semmelweis. And, you know, some of you, I know there's some of you out there that are like, oh yeah, this story. Um, and it's funny if I say that term to you, <laughs> Ignaz Semmelweis, you may think, well, who is this guy? So a brief history, right? It's essentially the story of a man whose ideas could have saved a lot of lives, guys, a lot. I'm talking about tens of thousands. And he could have spared, like if he just got this idea out, countless numbers of women and newborns, feverish and agonizing deaths. Now, you'll notice I said could have. So in brief, Ignaz Semmelweis was a Hungarian physician. And in 1846, he sought out to try to figure out why so many women in maternity wards were dying of childbed fever. Now, the numbers showed that clinics that were staffed by doctors and medical students were dying at, get this, five times the rate of clinics that were staffed entirely by midwives. Now think about that. We're talking about childbirth, something fairly quotidian, special, but quotidian in this day and age. And five times the rate of people, of women were dying in those uh, places where doctors and medical students were staffed as opposed to midwives. So you know, he started noticing these things and, and documenting some other pieces that he was like, well, it's interesting you know, the people that, uh, if you look at the doctors and the med students, they're doing autopsies in their clinics and there could be some cross-contamination and the midwives, they're just delivering the babies. They're not worrying about it. So if you just wash your hand and essentially what was this chlorinated solution, we'll be all good. Well, people didn't really take to that. <clears throat> Excuse me. People didn't really take to that. They thought, nah, this, is stan this isn't standard orthodoxy. We're not going to wash our hands. We think this could be airborne. This is something that could be happening through a vent. Nah, we're not going to do that right now. He eventually proved through some case studies that this was the case, but he didn't communicate that well. Now think about this. 
this guy was already saving lives, showing a little bit of correlation and causation here of saying, if you just use a solution, incidences go down. It's, it's very simple. And you'd think that everybody would be thrilled. Uh, uh, seemingly so, Semmelweis had solved the problem, but they weren't thrilled. You know why? The doctors themselves were upset because his hypothesis made it look like they were the ones giving childbed fever to the women. Hint, many of them were. And Semmelweis just wasn't very tactful. He didn't have a lot of what I call unconscious coaching, social agility. Right? He publicly berated people who disagreed with him, <clears throat> strength coaches. And he made a lot of influential enemies. Now, eventually, Semmelweis lost his job and his mind. And ironically, and sadly, he was committed to an insane asylum, beaten, and ironically died of the similar strain of the infection that he was trying to help people cure. And this is why, to this day, they call the Semmelweis reflex, or they give that term, that is used as a metaphor for the reflex-like tendency to reject new evidence or new knowledge of any kind because it contradicts an established norm. And that is what's so interesting about these things is we have this Semmelweis reflex against terms like sales, promote, brand, marketing. I mean, it's literally like the four or five deadly sins. But think if, if this person could have just communicated his message, if he could have promoted this idea in a more tactful, tasteful way, they could have saved lives. But nobody washed their hands at that time. And I think it was, don't quote me on the exact time frame. But maybe it was 10 years later, maybe a little after that, where Louis Pasteur, the gentleman that really uh, pioneered the pasteurization process for milk, had proven that he was right all along. And now, you know, Semmelweis is given credit for really being the father of, of human hand hygiene. And so, you know, if you don't promote or if you don't sell, sell something, you're basically saying you don't care or feel like you have a responsibility to get that out to the world, or you just don't think it's valuable enough. That's the pushback I give people now. So you're saying you don't want to promote this. You're saying you don't want to share it. That either means you don't think the work's good enough, which in that case, get back to work. It means you don't know your audience or you created this thing without an understanding of who it was intended to help. Same thing, get back to work. Or you're just scared. You're scared. And that's where it comes down to, guys. So many people who say they don't want to promote or put some out, they're scared that that thing will go out there and they're not really ready for the backlash or they're uncertain as to how they will handle backlash if that thing's not perfect. They feel like, uh, I have this thing. I kind of want to put it out there to people I trust, uh, but I don't really want to put it out to everybody. Now, this doesn't go to the person that sent me what he sent me. I know him well. He's not scared of this. But it does have to do with a lot of other people why they don't want to do that, you know, and, and they just haven't really done that. They're like, because it, it, here's the thing. It takes balls to put something out into the world. It does. Uh, because you, every day you're faced with somebody hating it and being mad about it and all these things. It just does. And, uh, you know, that's tough. It's tough to admit that we're scared. But, you know, you can't be the adjective without doing the verb. You can't. You have to put, you have to work on something really hard. You have to make sure that you put a lot of value into it and then you have to put it out there or you can't be mad when somebody else has put something out there and they've gotten quote unquote recognition that you felt like you deserved. You don't deserve anything if you don't want to put those things out there. You don't, that's on you. And you have to understand that nobody's just going to know magically that what you've created was valuable. 
perception is a fickle beast, you know, and study around perception really first began in 1879 by a gentleman named Wilhelm Wundt. And I'm probably spelling that or not spelling that wrong, pronouncing that wrong. And I'm very sorry, but you know, another article in 2011 by Otera said truly objective perception is not just difficult. It's nearly impossible. And guys, here's the reason. No two people experience and interpret sensations, let alone their own feelings, the same way. So when we talk about what perception is, and I've mentioned this in other episodes as well, like creating a blueprint for your career. We've talked about it in values that or um, behaviors that devalue your work. Uh, we talked about it with my friend Tim Karen, why free advice is something that you need to be aware of. But when we look at the definition of perception, it is the way in which we interpret, define, and organize our sensory experiences. So a lot of it plays into fundamental attribution error and other forms of misunderstandings where we tend to think we're coming across one way, but to someone else, it's coming across very different. So when somebody says, hey, I don't want to, I don't believe in limelighting or I don't, you know, I don't believe I should put myself out there, they think... And to their audience, it does. It comes across as mercially, morally, sorry, mercially, that's a new word, morally virtuous. It's what's called an exemplification impression management tactic. What they're trying to say by saying, I don't engage in selling or marketing or promoting things, is they're trying to just say like, no, I'm true blue. I'm dedicated to the tra craft. These other people are fraudulent. But that's the thing. Are you really going to be brazen enough to say that anybody that has put their name behind a product or an idea or a process is fraudulent? Man, is that brave? Like what if what if people like Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or, you know, again, any of these scientists that have won Nobel prizes, guys, what if they didn't put their idea out there for the world to see? What if they didn't promote that idea or ask it to be shared? You know, what if they didn't sell people on the idea that these things are important? Because who would have thought that putting some weird colored thing comprised of chemicals and fluoride in your mouth and scrubbing your teeth would do great things for you? Who would think that doing things that actually cause your body to be really sore and achy and not feel good, <clears throat> like exercise, would make you actually healthier in the long run. Like think about some of the things you take for granted. Think about the things you do and that you've bought and that you believe in that really it's just an idea that was conveyed in a way that really locked into your self-identity. Think about that. Everybody has something silly that they wear or they listen to, that they eat, something unique. I mean, we have people that have tattoos on their arms that, you know, you have let a, a stranger, somebody you don't know, that you gave money to use a needle with ink to pierce your skin to put something on your body because it has meaning enough to you. Yet you won't put something out into the world that you think can help other people. I'm not sure I understand the disconnect. Uh, but it is cognitive dissonance. I just want to make that clear. A lot of times it's not the act of sales or promotion. It's our past history with those things, or it's what it represents, or it's a lot of us just being mad that we're not getting recognition for that because human beings want to be acknowledged. They do. I don't care what anybody says. Human beings want to be acknowledged. I know people that are in jobs that 
they literally are not allowed to have a presence. And I had a job like that at once too. You couldn't have a presence. And so they adopt this belief of saying, well, I don't want one anyway, right? Cognitive dissonance, the fox and the sour grapes couldn't reach the grapes. Those grapes are sour anyway. So it's amazing the stories we tell ourselves. If I was smart enough and I had somebody that was in filmmaking that wanted to do it, I would write a book called The Psychology of Storytelling or, I'm sorry, Storytelling as Psychology. And it would be all about the stories we tell ourselves and how fascinating it is that we believe in it because we really are the biggest antagonist to our own story. Now, there are sales tactics, of course, that I hate, and one of them aligns with that. I I love when people say, be the hero of your own story. Well, people are more often the antagonist of their own story. They will tell themselves whatever they can, and they'll start to believe it to stay in their comfort zone, and that's the truth. I was once told at a conference, hey, it's not that we don't like the idea of selling or promoting or marketing. It's that we think it takes away the purity of what we do when people make money outside of that direct act or vocation. So if that's coaching, if somebody makes money outside of coaching, then it takes away the purity of what they do. And I thought about that. I'm like, so if I'm in a band and I have music that I've spent thousands of hours on and tens of thousands of dollars buying the instruments and all this time writing, and I go promote it on a radio station, I'm now not a serious musician. Or if I wrote a book, or if I'm a historian, let's say, yeah, I'm a historian that wrote a book, this classic piece, and I want people to understand why it's relevant to read now more than ever, and it can help people. I'm no longer an author? Or if Nick Saban goes and gives a presentation to a business leadership conference and gets paid $40,000, he's no longer a pure football coach? Guys, what are we telling ourselves? Here's the other thing. And this is to me too. This isn't to you. I'm not like preaching to you guys, right? Get over yourself. Nobody cares. Oh, so you don't want to put yourself out there. You're scared of this stuff. People are going to criticize you. People are going to call you a sellout. Who cares? That says more about them than it does you. You know how easy it is to stay in your small world and just, I know because I used to do that. As a grad assistant, I used to open up strength performance network. And me and my buddies would look at all these stupid videos people would upload. I'm using stupid. That's what we thought at the time. And we'd be like, look at this guy's form. Look at that guy's form. Well, weren't we privileged? You know, we didn't have to worry about putting ourselves out there. We just coached day after day after day. Ironically, the very first time ESPN or Fox came to film something I was doing with athletes, they, they didn't, they didn't pick up the, uh, the footage of us doing cleans and squats and great running mechanics. You know what they did? They asked if we could do some battle ropes for them. They asked if we could do some of these things that we never even do. And you know what? I wasn't in a position where I could say no. I had to say, yeah, and, and we did it. And then I realized, I remember looking at that. And I'm like, what an ass I used to be. Cause here I am now, they're going to make one of these videos and I'm going to be on it. And it's going to look like a joke. And then you just realize who cares, man? Nobody does. You're not that important. I'm not that important. None of us are that important. But you do owe it to yourself to put a valuable idea into the world if you think it can help people. And it may not be perfect. Who cares? Nobody's expecting you to have all the answers. You just have to be willing to share what you know. So, you know, when you look at this, the perceptual process, and this is adapted, we typically have stimulation. This is an input, right? So this person seems angry. The food looks spicy. 
this guy seems like a sellout. This woman put out a crap product, whatever. And then there's recognition or interpretation where we think, is this actually good or bad? Is what they're doing unprofessional? Is it actually just maybe threatening to me in some way, shape, or form? And then there's action. That's our subsequent response, right? Do we smile? Do we avoid? Do we get mad? Do we do this? And, and that's why it's like, I just don't have the time for it anymore. When people ask me what I think about a coach losing his mind, I mean, we had something like that. You know, there's always somebody criticizing somebody, and I just don't have time for it. Because a lot of it is just this, you know, Pavlov's dogs kind of response where, you know, somebody looks at this stimulus and it bugs them because they feel like they're getting attention siphoned from what they do or it makes them feel irrelevant or whatever. And instead, they don't even think about what they have in common with that person because that strength coach that doesn't want to promote something out on whatever, social media or the internet or whatever, he doesn't realize, he or she doesn't realize that they're promoting every day the value of getting stronger, the value of proper eating. They're selling athletes on the value of nutrition and, and sleep and recovery and all these things every day. You're selling them because you're taking people that don't think they need these things or don't see it the way they do. You do, I'm sorry. Even if they do know they need them, they don't have a full understanding. And you're conveying that idea to them. You're influencing them. You are. And so... You know, these are just some things to consider, guys. You sell somebody every single day. You do. And if you don't think you do, then quit brushing your teeth, quit wearing deodorant, uh, quit caring about what you dress like when you go out to a nice restaurant. Um, don't tuck in your shirt at work. Uh, don't worry about what matches. Don't worry about the verbiage that you use when you communicate. Don't refer to people as sir, madam, anything like that. You know what? As we're talking about this, screw writing with proper grammar. Don't worry about grammar. Uh, write your emails however you want. Um, you know, all those things. Just do that because it really doesn't matter if you uh, adhere to social norms because it doesn't matter what anybody thinks about you, right? Uh, you know, remember, if you put something out, like it's not the people that are selling these things or promoting those things. Those terms, again, are not bad. It's the person that does. It's like w what's behind it. What's the motivation? And guess what? If the motivation is to make money off something helpful, that's not bad either. It's okay to make a living. Thank goodness. Thank goodness hotels market and promote their rooms. Because sometimes when I travel, I need a place to stay. And Airbnb may not always be the best option, right? So even if you look at the verb sell, that means to give or hand over something in exchange for money. Guys, people have done that for valuable goods. For millennia, people have bartered, sold, traded. It was only bad if they screwed you over. But don't confuse the people that screw you over with the people that are putting skin in the game. Because putting skin in the game and screwing someone over are not the same thing. That's what I want you to get out of this. Putting skin in the game and screwing somebody over, they're not the same thing. I could go on and believe me, I want to. I just think that, again, you have got to understand not every convention is worth questioning. Morals, things like that, yeah. And you know what? You're not the watchdogs. If people are unscrupulous, time will get them. It really, they do, guys. Time will get them. It will. And you don't need to worry so much about these things. Uh, you have to understand every part of your process. You need to take control of the information you share. And you need to be the quote-unquote CEO of how you get those ideas out there.
I'll finish with this. And, uh, you know, this is all stuff from Ryan Holiday, who uh, his work made me rethink this. But listen, guys, I'm not promoting his book, right? So he talked about and this. I don't remember when this book was made. So you guys are going to, let's call it 2014 or 15 if you want to check these stats. But according to him, more than 400 hours of content is uploaded to YouTube every minute. There are around 125,000 plus graduates with MBAs each year. More than 300,000 books are published every year in the United States alone. And Seth Godin says being really good is only the first step in order to earn word of mouth. You also need to make sure your product is safe, fun, worthwhile, and then I would add easily understood. People need to understand what this thing is, what you're trying to do. So just ask yourself, you know, if, if you have trouble promoting... Is it because you're really scared of the feedback? Is it because you're unsure? Is it because you haven't done the work? Is it because you feel pressure and you're not getting the, the recognition, recognition and validation you want? Or is it because you just don't really understand how to communicate the value of what you provide and you just have this fear inside you that if you do, it'll be rejected? Because somewhere along those lines or the lines of other things I talked about today is real. the real fear is. I want to thank you guys because if you didn't tell other people via word of mouth about this podcast, none of this information would get out. None of it. You know, if, um, man, there's so many personal things I could go into here. Uh, you know, we lost a lot of money as did a lot of people with COVID-19 a lot. And if they didn't promote all the, the help that small businesses could get, I mean, we'd be in real trouble. We would. And you know what, guys? They promoted it. They put the link out there. They sold us on the value of doing it. And my wife and I applied for that help. And because we believe in what we're doing and we know you believe in what you're doing too. So think twice. Send this to somebody that thinks promoting and limelighting and having all this stuff is bad, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a strength coach, whether you're whatever. And think twice. Think twice about all the things in your life that you do daily. And if you look at them under the scope of a lens and actually understand the verbiage, you promote, you sell, you influence, you persuade every single day. Get over yourself, get onto the real issue, and let's all move forward and be better together. This is Brett Bartholomew, Art of Coaching Podcast. Thanks for joining me.